You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 72 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris, and Bob is stuck in traffic. He's trying to buy a Jeep, but he's stuck in traffic. The highway's closed. He can't go anywhere. So maybe next time we hear from Bob, he'll tell us all about his new Jeep. He's all happy because it's a six-speed and it's not an automatic. So anyway, welcome to the booth at the Sagem Public Library here in Holbrook, New York. Uh, the Library Pros Podcast is a bi-monthly podcast, so please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And please check us out on Twitter at, at the Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. And consider leaving a review or tell a friend or colleague about us because word of mouth is how our podcast grows. So today joining us via Google Hangouts, we tried Google Duo, which just wasn't working very well, uh, is Connie Ross. And Connie is the library technician at Rosebank College in New South Wales, Australia, and has an, a master's candidate for information studies, which is very exciting. We're going to speak with Connie about some pretty cool things that she's doing over at her college. But first, let's learn a little bit more about her. So the first thing that struck us when Sally Turbot, our buddy from who's not too far from you, who is a friend we have in common from the old Turbot and Duck podcast, and Rob Thompson, who we had on the podcast recently, they introduced us, they, they introduced me to you. And what was interesting was about you being a child of Greek immigrants. Can you tell us about your story? Because it's really, it's really interesting because we thought all the Greeks just went to Astoria, Queens. Now, a few of us trickled down to Australia. So, Chris, first of all, thanks a lot for having me. Appreciate um, having you on, having me on your show. Um, and it's it's a real honour. And it is fairly early here in Australia, but as we discussed earlier, the sun is up. So I am awake. I've had my coffee. So, yeah, Greek, Greek immigrants. My parents came here. My mother came in 1960 and my dad in 1963. And they both came. They're both war, um, children of the war, World War II. Mum's mm-hmm. family is very poor. And she wanted a better life, and so she moved here. Um, and then she used to correspond with my father, who lived back in Greece. They decided that they were going to get married. He moved here. Within one week, they got married. <laughs> so, yes, which was a fairly typical Greek immigrant story of the 1960s in Australia. Australia needed a lot of labour um, back in the day because they, um, you know, they were a growing industrial country and. Um, no more poms wanted to move here. No, that's just a joke. Um, so they've got bring people from Italy and Greece and whatnot. So, um, and Australia, as, you, as most listeners would know, is quite a multicultural, it's a very multicultural country. Um, and so this, the Greek immigrant story is only one of thousands, really. So thank you, Chris. Yeah, so that's that's the background with um, being born Greek in Australia. <laughs> so some of this question kind of steals some of the thunder from our top 10 list that we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later. But you're an IT business analyst, which I found really fascinating. Um, how do you make the decision and transition to library technician? And, and for, for our U.S. listeners, a library technician is like a quasi-equivalent of a library assistant on steroids because you get to do a lot more than a library assistant does here. Uh, yeah, well, basically, there are several reasons, and there are some um, typical reasons. Um, I actually stumbled into IT work as well. I was working as a clerk. You would call it a clerk, a customer service officer in the finance industry. Um, and back in the heady heydays of the of IT in the early 90s, um, I was headhunted internally to uh, be trained as a trainee um, business analyst. I didn't know what that meant at the time. 
Um, they paid for me to go to school. They paid. They. I had a, um, a mentor. Um, I was in IT for twelve years. But more on the business side, like what do the customers want? Okay. Now, that, now that's a theme in libraries as well, and I think that's been a recurring theme of my career. Is I'm interested in helping people, um, and I'm interested in technology. So I did that for twelve years, um, and I loved it while I was there. But then I had two children. So children, as we as we know, can sometimes change your direction in life. Absolutely, um, that, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think, hmm, how can I make my life work now? And how can it be interesting? And how can I enjoy everything? So um, I had uh, made the decision to take a break for three years from working just to be with my babies. Um, and that was just uh, – and we went backwards financially um, doing that because I was earning good money. But sometimes you've got to think about other things rather than just money. And I didn't see myself going back into IT. Um, when my youngest child was one, I started to get a bit, you know, a bit um, bored and sort of think, well, what can I do to, you know, make my life more interesting outside of having children? And so I went to night school um, twice a week to do my certificate three um, at Ultimo College, which uh, the TAFE system, I don't know if your listeners are aware of probably all of the TAFE system in Australia, and that's the one Rob Thompson comes from. Um, it's, I've done so many TAFE courses. It's like colleges in, in a sense in America. It's not a university, but it's your practical courses um, for practical jobs. And I love the TAFE system here. It's really helped my career a lot. Um, so I did a Cert 3. I'd go, I didn't have to do the other impetus. I didn't have to do most of the subjects. A lot of them were IT subjects. <laughs> so I um, got, you know, uh, ticks for those. So I basically had to learn how to catalogue and how to um, search databases. Those were the two major um, subject areas. So it didn't require a lot of my time or, or brain. It, it wasn't that it was easy, but I needed to ease back to study because I hadn't done it for a while and I was a tired mum. So I did that and got a taste for that. That was in 2009. And the IT industry as well, the other reason to transition, the IT industry, a lot of it was going offshore. A lot of the work that I was doing was going offshore. So I'd ridden that IT wave. It was coming down. Um, I didn't see a place for myself in that industry either at the level that I wanted to, and I didn't want to get into management. I had the kids instead. Um, I thought libraries would be good, uh, and inverted commas, a lot of people think that doing library work is a good mum job, especially working in a school. So I did the certificate, and then um, I thought the, the diploma was the next one I wanted to do, and I thought I can't actually go out to a TAFE for this because it requires too much of my time. Like for me, online courses were very fashionable by then at TAFEs, um, so I looked up which one would be the best fit for me and Rob Thompson st um, stood out like a sore thumb and that sounds like a derogatory thing, but it was actually a really good thing. He does stick he out just, like a sore thumb. Yeah, it does. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So he actually, um, he made libraries come alive to me. He was, I'll go on about Rob in a minute, but just to finish off about um, the other reasons, you know, I love the books, obviously. I grew up with libraries. Um, I've always been a reader. I don't always, I'm not a, but I feel like I don't read a lot of novels. I'm not one of those bookworms that read a lot of novels. I like reading nonfiction and different things. Um, I just love reading and I loved, loved information. And I loved information access. I loved helping people. And and in, back in 2009, as you'd be aware as well, um, you know, around the late 2000s, libraries were like, well, you know, we need to change as well. We need to become more digitally aware. We need our customers don't need us for, you know, internet searching in, in theory. Um, they can do a lot of their own searching. How are we going to fit? So I thought, well, I can help here because I have some IT skills and I like libraries, so I think this might be a new career for me. So um, what happened, the way that um, I got my first role was I had just finished the diploma 
Rob gave me some hi marks. <laughs> he must have liked my inspired answers. I don't know if they were technically correct all the time, but I think he enjoyed um, some of the things that uh, some of the visions I had because he he just spoke so eloquently and so poetically and so um, beautifully through all his courses. Even cataloging was interesting. And when I would do my classes with him, I'd have the computer up, but he, I couldn't see his face. Back then, you didn't have the you know the video. We didn't have the video thing. So he always had a picture of a beautiful library up. So I'd be staring at a library for an hour and writing notes while he was talking. And then when I finally did meet him, I was trying to reconcile the face with the voice. So that was <laughs> that was fun, you know. <laughs> that, that's really so funny because because Rob is a bit of a character too. I he was he's my type of people, my type of person. Um, and I like that he he didn't make it boring. He just made. He said, yeah, you can do whatever you want to do. And being a library technician can be your full stop. You don't have to, oh, I need to keep going on to be a librarian and to do this, that and the other. You, know, you have a lot of scope as a library technician to do a lot of work. And I think he spoke to this previously on a podcast about how library technicians do management roles and can do other things. And they're not all just about, um, you know, circulation desk or whatnot. But every function in library is important. But he, he just sold that as something that could be an end, end goal. So I finished that course and I was really on a high from. I thought, wow, this is, you know, I'm looking forward to this new career. My kids were almost at school by then. Um, so the first year, what happened was I wasn't quite ready to start working, but a guy that I knew, a good friend of mine that um, I worked with in IT, he suggested, he was, his wife, his beautiful wife, Tracy, suggested that perhaps um, I could be interviewed for a role at Rosebank College because she was actually the lobby manager there at the time. So it's networking and who you know, and she knew I had just done this course and she thought it'd be a perfect role for me being a new parent and whatnot and, and new back to the workforce. And so she, um, I, I was hired, I was interviewed and I was hired back in 2011. So I've been at Rosebank for eight years. Yeah, just closed on eight years. And so I started at, um, at Rosebank. We, and so she was my mentor there. So I had Rob as a mentor prior to that and, and still to this day, still a mentor. And then Tracy became, because, you know, you always need mentors. That's so you know, true. Absolutely. What, don't you think? Yeah, it, just to have that, that beacon of, okay, you know, when you're out in the sea and then you see the lighthouses and you're like, okay, I can navigate this. I mean, people that understand me and I can ask them stupid questions and, and, and tell them my hopes and fears and dreams and they can, you know, and you have each other's backs and they can give you advice. And, you know, because you, I see you know, Rob constantly jumping, jumping off um what I consider to be, you know, um, tall buildings in a single leap in a single bound. Just so, like, he just networks like someone I've never met before. He's just amazing at getting to know people, and he doesn't have fear. You're right. You know, he's inter generally interested in people. So um, he made me a bit more fearless. He made me feel like I can be, you know, I can just say what I want to say and not feel like I'm being weird or you know, out of line or sometimes, you know, people don't take you the right way and that's okay as well. Not everyone's going to understand you. And that's the other thing he helped me with. So I started three days a week, part-time, suited my life at the time. You know, I didn't, I don't work in school holidays and I still don't. So Tracy mentored me um, for a few years. So I grew from a, a part-time library um, assistant, that's what it started as, um, and then grew into a library technician, which is actually what my qualification was. I did that for a few years and then she decided we're at that point at the school where um, we had to really explode a bit with the digital stuff or um, 
or not, or not, or not, but, you know, or, you know, we had to do something different. We had to keep going. And Tracy was fantastic um, because she took the library from an old-fashioned place to, um, you know, including databases and she helped design the brand-new space that we had back then. Like my first day as a library assistant, I was in a brand-new library. I mean, how many times can you say that? Yeah, yeah. So, um, and she designed the whole space. She was, she's been amazing. And she was, she shepherded me all through those first few years, not just with work, but, you know, about being a parent and working and working in the library industry. And she was an, an amazing cataloger. So I learned a lot of those skills from her. Um, a, a lot of, you know, how to be, how to talk to people, that type of thing. Um, so she was retiring. She, she didn't want to continue with that, you know, with, with what the library was doing. And she decided that there are other things in her life she wanted to pursue. So I applied for her role, got her role two years ago. So now I'm the library manager. So you have a library technician that's actually running, managing a school library. Um, so then we hired a, another library technician. Um, so I manage her work. Um, we both have the same manager. So it's an interesting situation where we both have the same manager, but I manage the work and the workflow um, and, and the operational side of the library. So it's a pretty sweet, sweet role in that way. It sounds that way, yeah, especially being in the role that you're in with, with the degree that you have and the, the level that you're at being, you know, a library technician, managing another library technician, that's that's something that usually happens, correct? Yes. I mean, um, she was she's young and she was new to libraries. Sorry, no, she wasn't new. She worked in a public library, so she, she which was really good. She worked in a public library, so she didn't have the, the, the diploma, but she had amazing other amazing skill sets that really fit really well. And I could see, and so she, I didn't think she needed the diploma. She, you know, she had a master's in history and she is very bright and very bubbly, the right personality, all that. You know when you need to have the right personality fit as well? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, someone that can talk to kids and, and teachers and parents and, you know, um, and be very out because we, we're, we're, you know, we're all advocates. We, you know, we, we advocate for the library. All of us are out there selling, you know. <laughs> this is what we do. This is why we're important. And so personality plays a lot into that as well. Oh, so, absolutely, yeah, sure. you got to be able yeah. to work with the people that you work with. Yes, and yeah, it, right. the day goes goes by a lot easier if you like the person you're working with. Absolutely. And if Absolutely. you're a team member and, and they get the whole concept of being a team, well, that's a win-win. Totally. Yeah. And be fun. <laughs> yeah, fun. exactly. You got to have fun. If you're not having fun during the day, then what are you doing? Totally. No, if you're, if you're manager and you're miserable, you're going to pass that on to your people. And if you're being managed and you're being managed by a miserable person – it's not going to be fun. So we spend more time with the people at work than we do with our own family. So Probably. it does make sense to try to make it as as pleasurable as possible. Uh, and, I, and this being my first sort of manager role, I have learned a lot in the last few years just about that, you know, um, the ups and downs of it and how to not be in my own head so much and actually tell people what I'm thinking. You know, rather because I was so used to being autonomous. Right, and you do everything and, yourself. Yeah, and you're like, oh, I'm doing this. I, I can take care of this. Oh, wait, I have somebody I can give this job to. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but I'm jumping here. <laughs> I guess I'm just <laughs> talking, talking. Um, but our school has um, 1,400 students, around about 1,400 students. At the time I've been there, it's it's grown a lot. It used to be a, a single-sex school. It was a girls-only school. Um, but boys fully integrated for quite a while now. Um, so we've almost doubled in numbers since I started. That's pretty impressive, actually. Yes, the, it's it's uh, Rosebank is growing a lot. Um, so I've gone to a you know um, a co-ed 
uh, around 1,400 students, and there's about 130 teachers, or is it the total staff, one of the two? So the, the people that we serve, when you think about it, there's two of us serving all those clients. And in, in that, you've got eight or um, eight or so faculties to deal with, so lots of different disciplines mm-hmm. um, and different year levels. That really is impressive for a college of that size, especially that it's grown exponentially in the yes. years since you've been there, sure. Yeah, well, our principal has a, you know, has, has a big vision and it's, um, we've had a lot of building works and, you know, expansion and yeah, it's, it's a busy school, but it's a great environment and, and the library is a real hub there and they, there's a, you know, it's a really big space, it's a really beautiful space um, and it's used for lots of different things. So it's used as a function space. We also, I try and also get teachers to, you know, in our CAPA department, which is what our creative arts area. Um, you know, children do their works of art. Listen, please use it as a gallery space because it make, makes our library look amazing and we haven't personally spent a cent. Just make it look amazing and we get to display the students' work and it's a win-win. And um, sometimes, you know, I would say to the music department, we haven't had this happen yet. We're trying to make it happen. Um, I think students might be a bit shy about it, but, you know, maybe performing acoustically, like I got our um, audio-visual person to tell us which part of the library has the best acoustics. So they can do some acoustic sets at lunchtime for something different. That's nice. Um, yeah, or poultry slams, stuff like that, just different events at lunch. Um, so trying to get more of that happening as well. And um, So it's used for lots of different – it's fun. So why don't we do this? Why don't we take a short break? So when we come back, we're going to talk about all the cool stuff you're doing over there. So we'll be back in just a minute. Hi, it's Chris from the Library Pros, and I want to tell you about the book, Best Technologies for Public Libraries, Policies, Programs, and Services. I, along with Nick Tanzi and James Hutter, both amazing technology librarians and previous guests on this podcast, co-authored the endeavor. If you're interested in bringing 3D printing, augmented reality, virtual reality, or drone flying to your library, this book has what you need. It's a roadmap to successfully implementing this technology because we cover purchasing, developing effective policy, finding the right software, and have model programs and services already designed to make planning programs easier. You can find the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy books or ebooks. I hope you'll check it out. Okay, we're back with Connie Ross from Rosebank College. So where to start? Oh, my God, you're doing so much there. When we were first speaking about you coming on, you sent us all this information. It was like a resume of sorts, but it was six pages long. It was amazing. <laughs> no one has ever in the history of this podcast been so sent so much information. I, I guess you heard the podcast and think, oh, these guys never prepared. So it was impressive to see all the stuff that you're doing. Um, and before we get into all that interesting thing, all that interesting stuff, tell us what your day looks like and feels like. Because we don't usually talk about that very much when we have somebody on. When you come in in the morning, are you turning the lights on? Are you booting up the computers? What, what does it smell like, taste like, feel like there when you start your day? Well, I do two shifts. Sometimes I start at 9 o'clock. So um, on those days, the library closes at 5 Um the other days that I'm there, we open at 7.45 and I leave at 3. And so my library technician does, you know, we swap shifts. So 7.45 is when the library officially opens. So I'm basically, I open the doors at 7.45. Yeah, I do turn the lights on, the air conditioning on. We have a water feature, like a water wall. I turn that on. 
and then let the students in, greet the students. Um, I check that the front desk is all functional, the computers are all on, everything's working and, you know, smiling at the students and, and whatnot. And then I'll turn on my own computer. So I'm basically at the circulation desk. We're ruled by bills. So it's a bit different to your usual library where every 50-odd minutes you hear ding-dong and you move on. So um, <laughs> it, it's, it's a different environment. It took a little while to get used to it. So, you know, you'd be there to the, with the students. And five minutes before the bell goes, I, I sort of say to the students, okay, you can pack up now. Please push your chairs in. Take your rubbish with you. Have a nice morning, you know, all that sort of thing. What have you got on today? Just let have a bit of a chat. So I'll walk around the floor as well in the morning and chat to the students. And, you know, it depends on how busy the morning is. Sometimes it's hectic where you're three or four people deep with inquiries or you might not have anyone talking to you. And a teacher might walk in and ask you something. Um, so our job is 20 is, 20 is 100% customer service with regardless of whatever else it is. So the kids go off to their class. So then we have bells every 50 minutes. Um, the kids then come in again at recess and at lunch and then after school. So um, and we at the end of the day, what we do at five o'clock, five minutes to, before the bell goes, um, so there's a bell at five o'clock, at five minutes to, I remind the students that I have a life too and that I need to get home. <laughs> so we actually have some students staying till five. So then they leave. Um, I, I don't need to lock up because the cleaners coming through the door that for us. So I just make sure everything's you know locked in the in our office, um, and then walk out the door. So, but during the day, yeah. So we have periods. So what I need to do when I get in is I look at my um, I look at the calendar for the day because we have six spaces in the library that are bookable. So I've got to look at who's coming in that day. Um, do I need to be involved in anything? Um, is it something that you know we've been told about prior? You know, do I need to do anything to help them um, with their setup? Um, you know, IT and we have a fantastic IT and f uh, facilities departments, and they do all the um, technical aspects and the, and the moving of furniture and whatnot. So for me, it's more of a you know, do I need to do anything extra for them? Do they need any information or that sort of thing? Um, so that's what my library technician would also do. They'd both do that. Um, so when I say me, I'm talking about the, the library, um, and then we would look at who, you know which teachers are away that day. Um, just so that we know the lay of the land for the day. Um, and if there's any daily notices, we get daily notices every day. So basically notices to say this is what's happening at Rosebank today. Um, so we're aware of that. So you've got to do all that first so you know where you're at for the day. And that can take a while. Uh, then you look, I look at my list of priorities that I have for that day and I look at, you know, and I look at my emails um, and that can take up a little while as well. And then I rejig my priorities and then I'd start my work for the day. Punctuated, of course, with recess, lunch, uh, after school. So we're constantly, I wouldn't call it interrupted. We have breaks, we stop what we're doing and we're out on the floor. So at lunchtime, I supervise the library. So um, my library technician will run the front desk and, you know, help any students. We have a self-checkout. So students can still check out their own books. Um, she answers all their queries and she gets to really understand what the kids are borrowing and we take um, requests from students about what books they wish us to buy, um, that sort of thing. And I'm basically roaming around talking to the students, seeing everyone's – because we do have rules, like, you know, we don't want them eating in the library because we end up being the ones having to pick up the food off the floor and that sort of thing. So – and just chatting to them. Um, and, and your question down the track, which I'll answer later, you're asking who my favourite patrons are. I'll leave that to them. But I talk to my favourite patrons at lunch. We have a little chat most days. Um, and they, they inspire me with ideas of what to do in the library as well. So um, – and then, yeah, teachers will walk in and talk to them. So that's basically a, tip, a typical day is – the only typical thing about each day is that the bells ring every 15 minutes um, and that we have recess lunch 
before and after school. So we're punctuated by those things. But within all that, you know, I have to look operationally what I'm doing, look at budgets, um, look at what programming is coming up, you know, what, you know, what events we have. Like at the moment, I'm just finishing a, a digital reference stock take, which is <laughs> a lot of my IT skills are coming in handy because it's looking at the metadata and seeing how clean is our database before we start our stock take. You know, um, how can we clean up location fields and all that sort of things so we're not, you know, and come up with a plan of how I'm going to, how we're going to do the stock take. And that's the one thing that we're doing at the moment. And we're having what we call our year six orientation. And this is one of those handover tasks. So I've given this to my library technician. But can you just check last year's slides? Let's see, you know, let me know if there's anything else that needs to be added, if things out of date. Um, you know, so I hand over a lot of those things to her. Um, and so we're inducting some new year sixes. Um, on the 20th, which is always very cute. <laughs> you know, they come in with their primary school uniform and they look around like, oh, wow. So you're talking to, to 12, 12-year-olds for the whole day. Like we take, Hannah and I take turns. We do that for each period. Um, and that's, so that's what's coming up before the end of the year. Yeah, so we, that's, that's basically a typical day. Okay, so let's talk about partnerships because I love talking about partnerships because, you know, what we're doing now is, you know, a partnership of sorts. And when we speak to interesting library people and, you know, we've developed, I've developed some, some great um, partnerships with, you know, Sally down by you and Rob and, and we've done some really cool stuff together. So talking about partnerships, tell us about your partnership with the city of Canada Bay libraries. Um, yeah, Canada Bay. So we, public libraries in um, Australia are widely used. Um, and I think anyone that works in any type of library needs to be an advocate for public libraries. Um, and we certainly feel that way, and, and it's reciprocal too. So we've gotten to know our local libraries, local to the school. Some of our students are not locals um, because it's a, you know, it's a, it's a Catholic college, so students come from all over the place. Um, but we have partnered up with Canada, Canada Bay, which is up the road from us. Um, and what, what we get them to do is they've got, as you, all libraries have got youth librarians, so the youth librarian there, um, we've invited her to come and have a talk to our year 10s, so that's the 15-year-olds. Like, you know, you lose people at 14, 15. <laughs> That's an interesting age group. You know, trying to keep people interested in, in um, research and, and, and um, digital literacy and um, you know, research skills and all that sort of thing can seem a bit, a bit dry and whatnot. But when we brought them in and they, they did a half-hour half talk um, explaining what the library does, what they can do for seniors, senior students, they were quite blown away. They didn't have – some of them had a great idea. Um, some of them had no idea. Um, and because their parents pay rates, you know, these libraries are free and the information they're getting is priceless. Um, so we also put their brochures on our front counter. We have a digital display and we always put their events on the digital display. Um, we'll email our senior students to them about all the HSC workshops that, that they do and other events for youth because, you know, public libraries do a lot of events for youth. Um, so... That's basically what we do with um, Canada Bay. And also the year six is coming through. We talk about, you know, getting a library. We also about getting a live public library card mm-hmm. and the usefulness of that. Um, and you can also register your public library card with the State Library of New South Wales. Um, and then you have even more access to lots more digital content for nothing. Um, and we, we did organise one excursion to the State Library. Um, but me not being a teacher, I don't always have that ability to do that. Um, we had a history teacher last year where we got to explore a new learning space at the State Library and we were like only the second school that got to explore it. So I, I asked if I could come along and she's like, yep, come along. So <laughs> I thought it was one of the kids for the day. I forgot that it was one of the one of the um, adults. 
helping with the children. I thought I was one of the children going on an excursion. It was a lot of fun. So, yeah, so State Library and also the National Library. So we constantly, whenever we talk about anything with the students, um, we always, you know, book to read, have you looked at your public libraries, um, research database, have you looked at your public libraries? Because we also have some databases at school and I consider those databases learning tools so we can show them because they already have access to those. We can show the students how to use them. But we constantly say, you know, if you're doing um, society and culture, you know, the State Library has curated a whole collection for you. You know, this is how you access it. So we constantly do that. So, But yeah, with Canada Bay, it's, it's more of that, you know, um, putting out all their, their, their uh, femoral material and all their ads and then come and talk to the kids. We'd like to do that a bit more, though. Um, and we go there and visit them. Um, so, yeah, that, that's – and we encourage students to actually see if they can get a job at a library, you know, shelving. You know, we sure, have some that's of how you groom them, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So switching gears for a minute, and I, I know we've been talking about Rob, and if Rob Thompson's going to listen to this, we have to be careful that he's not going to get a swelled head because now he's he's been up in the UK for what, three months or something like that? Yeah. So I, I, I texted him and I said, who, who gets this much time off of work? <laughs> so I was kind of, you know, teasing him about that. Um, yeah. But- Rob does this thing, and he's actually pulled me in to do a presentation, too. We talked about the concept of the unconference. And I hear you, quote, unquote, got volunteered or voluntold to help him do some cool stuff, helping people, as he says, turn up. So tell us about the experience working with the one and only Rob Thompson, who I will meet one day in person, I swear. And he'll come towards you with a big bear hug. So just watch out for that. Oh, I'm ready for it. Um, so I think the first time, yeah, because he was, you know, he was my teacher at the, you know, at the, um, at the time and he's like, he's, you know, he was going to do his first, well, not first, he'd already done a couple of them. And I always get these dates wrong because I'm terrible with dates. It's one of my, one of my worst traits. And I think it was his third one. I went to his second one, I think. And then after the second one, I, I said, you know, do you mind if I just do some social media around your unconference? I don't know what I kind of knew what I was doing, but I didn't. I wanted to learn more about how it all worked. Yeah. So he's like, "No, oh, sure, jump in." Well, he doesn't you know how it works, so how's he going to know? That's exactly right. He's like, "So it, that's what was great about it, you know. There was no pressure, and you know, he's like, whatever works works. Whatever doesn't work, we'll just change it next time." Um, so I created a WordPress site and um, did the whole Twitter thing, and and I had it. There was a tool called Go Live back then, where you could curate. Um, comments and whatnot. So I ran that on the day as well. That's since well uh, gone. But he taught me quite a few things um, about how to set those things up, how they run and, and whatnot. And he just said, yeah, go for it. I mean, I don't know how many people would give you that opportunity for their event to do that. So, Absolutely. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and knowing Rob, he's he's very laissez-faire about it too, you know? Oh, my God. He's very passionate but very yeah. relaxed. So it's, it's an interesting, beautiful mix. So, and I, I had such a ball. My first time I went and just watched, I was so impassioned about libraries after that and I met some great people. You know, just talking to people about your thing that other people don't really care about, but these people really get it and, you you know, you, you just espouse the gospel all the time with them. So um, so I did that first event. I loved it. And he, I think that first one, or maybe it was the second one, he turned up in a kilt. That's right. <laughs> he was running late. He was running late. And he's like, Connie, hold the fort. I'm running late. I'm in traffic. Because he had to come from from where he lives, which is not close to Sydney. So, 
So I'm like, okay, okay, all right, pay credit, don't panic. There's only 20-something people or whatever it was. Okay, so I started off the conference, the unconference, um, and then he, he burst in about half an hour later wearing the kilt. Um, so that was great, yeah. <laughs> I've got a photo of it somewhere. I, I can't um, even imagine. Yeah, kilt and badges and, you know, so it was awesome. Um, and it was a great day and, you know, I could make a mistake and it was all right. <laughs> he, he cracks so, me up every I've single time. So I've been going all his bar one or two. So after that, he didn't really need me that much. I think I did two of his uh, conferences. Um, but then, you know, and, and the whole um, social media, whatever, became a lot easier to do and you didn't need a website and it was, you know, so I just go to them and have fun and if he needs me to jump in and do something, I'll do something. Um, but, yeah, there's sort of – because he's getting involved in more and more things as well, and now his role, you know, as a manager, as the Alia estate manager, he's getting busier and busier too. So um, things have evolved. But those unconferences totally blew my mind. I'd never heard anything like them before. And that those bits between the conferences that are most fun, that whole concept. She was trying different things, like how to each segment, like he was having morning, in the morning we would do a hachikucha, whatever they call it. I've got, <laughs> I forgot what it's called, but it's a particular format. And we did that, and then then we'd have breakout sessions, and you know, um, I think the hardest thing I found that really brought me into sweat was prioritizing the list of topics that people wanted to talk about. Yeah, that was always a fun part of the day. Well, you want to listen to what the people are saying because if they're sitting there and you're pontificating, you know, I always like to see how many people take their phones out, and if they're not taking pictures of the slides on your presentation and they're surfing the web, you've lost them. Yes. So having them prioritize what they want to hear will only alienate the minority of the people who are there who don't want to do listen to that first thing. So it just makes sense. Like, you know, it, you want to gauge what's happening in the room, you know, and, and if people start, you know, nodding off, talk a little louder or, you know, do something to wake people up and say, what do you think? You know, turn the tables and then people, you know, first you go, wait, 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 he's actually talking to us. He's not talking yes. at us, and then it just transforms from there. He's very inclusive and open-hearted, open-minded, um, and yeah, he, he's there. But he, yeah, people, he, he put, helps people jump up and do their thing and talk and come out of themselves a bit. And you see some people that they turn up and they're really quiet and shy, and and by the end of it, they've actually feel like they've contributed something as well, and they've been heard, and. Um, He's just got a beautiful knack of doing that, and he's just the most open-minded, most generous-hearted person in and out of libraries, and he accepts, accepts people as they are, as human beings, and doesn't put them into, into, into boxes. Um, you know, and Sally's the same, and that's why they're, apart from the fact that they're library people, they're my favourite type of people. You know, you don't always have to agree on everything. You don't always have to have the same interests, but is that acceptance of, you know, people are people, let's just have a, have a good time because we're not here forever. So tell us about how important technology is in your job, and secondly, what tools you use to help with library instruction, like examples like uh, your diverse learning program and and some of the other stuff, uh, along with research assistance, readers' advisory, and all the other amazing things that you're doing over there. Yep. So um, as I said earlier, we use um, well technology started to pick up when I started at Rosebank. We had a, what we call a Moodle back in the day where we you know, teachers and everyone would just throw up content, but it wasn't, it wasn't sort of, um, uh, it wasn't a system. We, the library didn't really have any much of a presence. So, so, and we weren't told how to do things back then. We didn't have that. Now we actually have someone that, two people that look after that as a role, which I'll get to. So that's all taken care of. But back then it was all fairly new. 
teachers weren't really using Moodles much. It was it was growing. Same thing at same thing at TAFEs at universities and whatnot. You know, this whole concept of online learning. Um, so even though it's a physical school, I can I think of it as online learning as well. Everything we do needs to be online learning friendly. So the only thing the kids can't do at home is physically touch the books. Yeah, it should be it should be um, done it should be able to be done from anywhere. You, the library is not just where you turn up and you pick the book off the shelf. The library is an idea of um, information access and, and education and fun and, and find new reads and all the rest of it. So I used to put together just some guides and whatnot and, and put them up on the Moodle and um, put up links to our databases and that sort of thing. We purchased Canvas. So we've had Canvas for a few years now. I consider the library another faculty. We have to think that way because we can't. the library can't do things differently to how other departments are doing it. We all have to do things the same way so that teachers and everyone understands what everyone's doing. So if the library's out here being fancy and doing their own thing and not, it's that line between conforming with what the school wants but also making your content interesting as well. What I would do, as I said, is I'd look at what uni, because you know, I'm at uni at the moment, so I look at what my university does as a student. So it helps me understand as a user. Um, this is where the business analysis comes in. Mm. How do I design this experience you know when I log in what do I want to see how do I how many clicks do, do I want things to be away you know is it four clicks is it two clicks is it seven clicks is it going to be a pain in the bum you're not going to bother doing it is it easier just to go on Google you know we have to make it sexier for the students and easy yeah, sure. you know yeah to give them more options and not that Google is bad or evil but we need to show them how to Google properly as well Right, because yeah. it is a tool. It's just a tool that you have to fine-tune and, and showing them some of the tools that are across the top just underneath the search area with limiting to, you know, when the material was published or jumping into Scholar and, you know, Google Scholar and trying to find some stuff there. And it's, it's, it wouldn't be a primary source or a primary place I would send somebody, but it would be a nice way to augment or maybe trying to find something that maybe your library doesn't have a subscription to, like Jester or something like that. And then you Correct. can find it full text on Google because somebody scanned it and put it in Google. And, yes. And you're not stealing the material. I, I can hear people screaming already, but you're stealing it, Jester pays, blah, blah, blah. No, it's about getting it to the student because they're doing it for academic work. They're not doing it for profit. You know, well, you've got to look at copyright. <laughs> you've got copyright for education. Right. So I don't see the thing, like understanding how copyright works uh, for schools. And I just finished a seminar couple of weeks ago that was specifically for independent schools um so i went to that and that informed me on yeah how much leeway we actually have so and you need to know that as an information specialist so how how much can we get away with here you know right. what's um, the wiggle room what's that 20 percent yeah yeah how, can, how far can we push it yeah uh, and and putting up that information that i found in our professional development area giving that to the person that looks after the canvas environment say so, well where do you think this fits? This is stuff that I learned, but this stuff is not for kids, for the kids, it's more for the teachers. So, you know, um, I pass that on to them and hopefully it'll become a part of a PD experience. Um, but I also put up, put up Creative Commons and finding free images and all that sort of thing within our. So basically the way I've curated the web page is try not to have too many layers, mm -hmm. not too many pages to go onto. Sometimes it's unavoidable and you've got to be careful you don't put too much information up as well. So it's having those buckets like how to search because we use Follett Destiny. That is our library management system. Mm -hmm. So we we also use eWheelers for our eBooks as a, as a shared platform. So we share it with other schools. It's a paid subscription. We pay one fee, 
Um, and basically, students can access, I think, about 1,800 books, and they, they update that every month. And that's working beautifully. We don't have to actually curate the titles. It's most most popular titles. And whenever I look through, I'm like, yes, they have that one too. That's great. And they have this particular title. And they have, you know, and we might have it. Then we have to decide, do we want that in physical copy as well or not? And and that's where the whole reporting comes in, like running analytics, mm-hmm. um, which databases they're using, how much, um, and trying to um, develop our services around their usage as well. That's only, I've just started looking at that, like the qualitative and quantitative data and, and that, the school looks at that too, like you know, from a learning perspective, and also trying to think how can I how can I tell um, the curriculum leaders, you know, what they're doing in the library, and how, how will that help inform them, like for literacy, you know, how many are kids reading the books or whatever, like sure. they just full problems. But so we use um, so we do that, and you know, there's always the phone apps that are related to those applications as well, and um, we use Vivi for our screencasting. Okay. So, yeah, so Vivi is, this is an, um, our IT department sits with the library, as does our, what we call our book room. It's all textbooks that the students, this is the thing that Rosebank does, and every school does it differently. Rosebank actually buys physical copies of all the textbooks the students need, mm-hmm. but it comes out of their fees, and it's managed by what we call the book room manager. So she sits in the library with us, um, but there's separate modules of Destiny, so with Destiny manages the IT resources, mm-hmm. it manages the library books and the library e-resources, and also manages the book room resources. So it's the one Interesting. tool. Yeah. yeah. So it's an American product. So sometimes being an Australian, you've got to say, well, you know, like we probably wouldn't subscribe to Tidal Waves because they don't, or their e-book platform because it might be more American-centric and we're looking for more Australian content. So we've got to kind of look at that as well or – um, and they've got other add-ons like WebPath Express, which we have found quite good, like teachers curating websites for students mm-hmm. um, and putting that in a database that students can access. Um, so, yeah, we use uh, BorrowWorks e-wheelers. Um, yeah, so Vivi is that basically wireless casting. So I can take my Surface Pro because every student and every staff member, we're, we're mobile. I don't have a desktop computer. I have a Surface Pro. So I'll take that with me to classrooms when I do research classes or instruction of some sort, and I'll take that to the classroom and I'll um, fire it up and then put in a code and then it just wirelessly displays the content that I have on my laptop. So that's school-wide. So Vivi has been put through the school. So that's how we cast everything, which has made things a lot easier. So they're the major technology tools that we use. We also have in our TAS department, we have, uh, with regards to STEM, um, it's a bit different to say public libraries, where public library will do the STEM um, themselves. We have a TAS department, which is you know our technology um, subjects, so technology and applied sciences. So they actually have a three D printer down in their labs. Um, it's not in the library. So my thing for for next year, um, I'm actually that's the other thing. Courses, you know, I do a lot of the ALIA, which is the Australian Library Association. I do a lot of their um, one-day, two-day courses to sort of see, you know, readers' advisory, what teens read, spaces. Um, the next one I'm doing tonight actually is uh, open education resources and STEM and how we can uh, propagate our data, our um, library management system with those resources and how else I can help kids with STEM. So STEM's going to be more um, be a thing for next year. Um, just wrapping my head around that because, as I said, we have a department that does STEM. But they do STEM in what we call year eight, which is the second year of secondary school. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a whole program, a whole STEM program that's outside of the library. Um, so, so how can we tap into that? Um, 
So technology-wise, I think they're the major thing. So we have in the library, we have a huge pull-down screen and speakers and we can cast, you know. I joke that we should just put movies on at lunch. I'll <laughs> um, put the Melbourne Cup on on Tuesday. But, um, yeah, we have two we, – we've got about three projectors in the library, four projectors in the library and one really huge projector that we project. Um, yeah. So it's all wireless. Um, so we're, we're pretty lucky. We've got good facilities. Technology speaking, technologically speaking, um, yeah. Wow, yeah. so we covered a lot of ground. We did. We really did. <laughs> so why don't we take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to ask Connie our, our 032 list, which is the list of uh, questions we ask all of our guests. And as we always do, we like to give credit where credit is due to Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library, who came up with the name of the list. We should just call it the Melanie list at this point, because since, you know, she named it, so we might as well just call it the Melanie List. So we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, so we are back back with Connie Ross from Rosemont College in Rose Bay. Right. Rose, sorry. In, right. in I, I screw up from time to time. <laughs> Down in Sydney, Australia. And she is our next participant in the 032 list. So the questions in the list are inspired by Literary Hub, which is an informative library-related news site that has stories and interviews related to library land. You can see their work by visiting lithub.com. Visit them and give them, give them a shot. Check it out because the site... Uh, educates and informs library land on great topics from all over. So uh, something to take a look at. Thank you, Literary Hub. So you ready for these questions? Absolutely. Okay. So the first question, what did you want to be when you were a child? Famous. But that that was because I was quite extroverted. I had no idea what that meant. And and I think being the big Prince fan that I am, and he was so out there, I just thought I could be out there too. Um, but that's as far as it went. I wanted to be famous. <laughs> <laughs> What was your first memory of a library and who brought you to the library for the first time? So um, my first memory was, of course, my school library um, in public school. And we, yeah, I, I enjoyed the smell of the books and we had the card catalogs back then. Um, so was a, and the stamping of, you know, the date stamps. I used to love the date stamp. And I used to catch the bus with my older sister um, to the local library. And that was a nice, because we didn't have a lot of money as kids. And it was, it was like a big excursion for us. Um, so I used to just like to get on the bus with her and go to our local public library. So when did you decide to work in a library? We kind of covered this, but we asked the question mm -hmm. anyway. And if it wasn't your first career path, you know, what was it? Obviously, it was IT. So we covered that part. But So what, when did you decide? Yeah, so in my mid-30s, I okay. decided that I was actually and, – and it's something that I knew I'd dedicate the rest of my life to is that information, an information career, which I'd already been doing, but now – in the library world. Okay, so who's your favorite fictional librarian? I love this question because I'm also a Rufus Wainwright fan, and he has a video called Out of the Game, um, and um, Helen Bonham Carter plays a librarian in this video. So you should YouTube it, have a look. It's a great, beautiful song. So he came to Sydney recently, I got to see him, which was fantastic. Um, so that would have to be my favorite fictional librarian. Okay, so what would you be doing if you were not working in a library? I'd like to work in a museum, gallery, archive, or bookshop. 
<laughs> one degree removed, right? Yeah. So this next question used to mean like fiction, nonfiction, that kind of thing. But since the advent of maker spaces and cool places like cafes and, and all the different things you have in a library now, what is your favorite section of the library? It doesn't necessarily have to be your library. It could just be in general. It actually is my library. Um, I, when I first became the manager, I moved our nonfiction shelving. Uh, I compacted it more cl closer together. There's still space within the shelving, but I wanted to create a classroom size area, which is a flexible learning space. So we have comfortable couches. We have all our fun um, nonfiction books for the kids to read out on display. And we have um, um, adjustable height tables and it's just a fun, funky area. And the kids just flock to it. So I love seeing kids just flock to that particular area. It's nice when you see it, that it works and they get it, right? Oh, I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to the library? I would change the furniture we have to be all on casters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's the bane of my existence having some of – everything I've bought has been on casters because I just – I love moving things around and for events it helps as well. Um, charging stations, which we don't have for laptops, would be good for phones. Um, and a recycling area, an area where kids can come and recycle different things. Um, also a theatrette for poetry readings or just for plays or for musical performances. So creating an actual, we have an area, but it's not really conducive to that sort of thing. It's a classroom space. But if I could, I'd create an area that was just for that. Okay. Oh, it's also, um, and just make it a safe space, you know, make it, um, I love the humanity of, of the library as opposed to just the books, mm -hmm. the humans in there and how they interact. So what do you love about your library? What do I love? Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I was going to say. Sorry, I've dropped the question there. It's just the, the interaction with people. And until I started at a school, I didn't realise I wanted to work with children because <laughs> <laughs> um, I had kids. But I actually do. Like the kids are just, they're pretty honest. Um, and they don't, you know, they don't hold back and they're fun and I like when I can connect with them and when they look at me and they get me and I look at them and I get them and you forget about the, the age gap. It's just, you're just having a chat. Um, so, and, and with the teachers, but the, the kids, the kids are my favourite part. And also getting to, you know, when they get to year 11 and 12, they're 17 and 18 years of age. So they're kind of, oh, I don't, you know, they get more, you know, I want to be more independent. I don't, you know, last. So trying to keep them thinking that libraries are not daggy, they're, you know, they can be fun and interesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, so what's the weirdest, not necessarily worst thing, but weirdest thing that's ever happened in your library? Oh, uh, I think um, working in a school, like, it's full of eccentric people. I say that because it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a positive thing. And, and everyone, you know, um, I think educators are quite, um, they're all passionate about their area and you get to see that passion in, in different subjects, which is great. But I think that the, the most interesting or the weirdest is when we have our character day, which um, we had in September, we're changing it to March every year now. And it's kind of, it's in public school, they have what they call book week in, during literacy and numeracy week. So um, you'll, we, the kids come dressed as their favourite character um, from a book or whatnot. Uh, so I think I'm going to change it next year to make it any character from a game or from anywhere, not just books. Um, but just seeing all the kids just dressed up in, in you know, and because I always say to them, you don't have to buy a costume. 
you can just make something or just bring in a T-shirt that you think works and just whatever. And when you tell them that, sometimes they come in with just the most amazing homegrown <laughs> costume. It's a great thing because everyone's walking around looking weird, so it's, it's really cool. <laughs> that is pretty cool. Yes. So we kind of alluded to this question before. Who's your favorite regular patron? The year seven and eight boys, I must say, because they are the ones that a lot of these boys are really bright kids and they, they, they're very, they're great, at, they code. They sit there and they'll code and they teach me things about IT. And when I tell them like, I used to work in IT, I get some, you know, credit points for that. <laughs> um, but it's about just sitting with them and just sort of seeing, you know, why do you game and, and, um, um, and are there other things you can do with gaming? Do we have to be gaming at lunchtime all the time? And can we, are there other aspects of gaming that we can tap into? And just having conversations with those, maybe because I have a boy around that age as well myself. Mm-hmm. So it's just um, they're challenging. They're a lot of fun. They're very bright and they teach me things all the time. I never thought someone, a seventh or an eighth grader, what we call them here, would be the one that people would want to hang out with the most. I know, I know. But that's, there's a challenge in that. And, and I want them to see me as um, not the scary librarian. You know, I have been told a few times that I'm not – that there've been places where the teacher, the, the, the librarian has been scary, so they're happy that I'm. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a compliment or whether it says something about I don't know libraries in school. I don't know, but um, yeah, they're great. They're just very upfront and honest. You can't beat that. No. Okay, so last question: What are people without library cards missing out on? Community. Being part of a community because mm-hmm. your, your library card gives you access to people, not just to information. You know, you go to a library or you talk to someone online from a library and you're you're interacting um, and it's a, it's a free, safe space and you have, you know, um, free access to whatever information you like and there's, there's fun events and there's people and there's – so it's rather than being at home, you can actually go somewhere where there's um, – something to do rather than just being at home on your own. It's just, it's a man's community. It's having a library card means you have access to, to information and to people that you might not ordinarily have. Amazing. It really is, isn't it? It is. Well, thank you so much for being such a good sport and answering our list of questions. And it was great having you on the podcast. I really do appreciate you coming on. Um, do you have any plugs for us? Anything you want to promote? Any plugs for yeah. things, did you say? Yeah, sure. Um, just go to your local, go to your public, sorry, go to your school library, visit your, if you, if you know of any, you know, if you um, have kids in your life, um, if you are a parent, um, please encourage you, um, encourage them to go visit their school library, you know. Find out about your school library, you know, ask your school, you know, what does your school library do, what do they offer, what is the staff. Um, I just encourage more conversation around how important libraries are in schools um, and how that can lead to a lifelong love of libraries in general as well. So we need to make, we need to have, you know, young people understand that, that libraries are not uh, archaic, that they can help you um, find what you need, but also they're not anti, they're, they embrace technology and they're pro-social media and uh, digital literacy is a thing and, and you can learn how to be more literate and, so, yeah, just really talk up how school libraries can help. That's great. So, Connie Ross, Rosebank College, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much, Chris. It was an absolute blast. Okay, we'll see you soon. 
We have come to the end of another episode of The Library Pros, and we thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments on this or any episode, click on the Contact Us form on our website, thelibrarypros.com. Visit us on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. Don't forget to tell a friend or colleague and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to our podcasting engineer, Dean Meyer. Remember, the opinions stated by the Library Pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and are not those of the Sachem Public Library, the MS Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. See you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachem Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.